Here we are in our third week of our series on life hacks, and I hope you've uh, been able to pick up some uh, quick and easy tricks that will save you time as you do your everyday tasks. By the way, that little strawberry and straw trick, it actually works. I, I tried that this week, so uh, if you're needing to uh, get the stems off your strawberries. But, but more than that, more than getting these little old tricks, uh, really we've hoped that you've been able to see some real life hacks, some principles that we've been drawing from the book of Third John uh, that you can apply to your everyday life. Principles like walking in truth, showing hospitality, and as we'll discuss today, being humble. Now, these life hacks are, are God's way of, of how we should live. And He wants us to, to live and, and to walk in truth, not in falsehood. He, he wants us to be people who show hospitality, who give of ourselves and our resources. And then we'll see today that, that His way, uh, His plan, and His desire is that we be humble instead of puffing up ourselves in pride. And that seemed to be the problem with this character that we're introduced to today in our text in 3 John. A man by the name of Diotrephes, he was puffing him up, himself up with pride. Now, all Bible scholars who do any kind of commenting on 3 John, they all want to know the same thing. Who's Diotrephes and what's the problem with him? And he's quite a mystery because we only get his name here once. And what's said about him is very, very little. So if you have your Bibles, you can open up with me to 3 John. We'll start and look at verse 9 and, and figure out who is this guy. What's the problem with him? I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who love to be first, will not welcome us. So when I come, I'll call attention to what he's doing, spreading malicious nonsense about us. And not satisfied with that, he even refuses to welcome other believers he also stops those who wants to do so and puts them out of the church. Now, the very first thing that's said about Diotrephes is, who loves to be first, or quite literally, the text reads, the loving to be first among them, Diotrephes, as if it were his title. Much like we would say, Mr. Diotrephes, no, the loving to be first Diotrephes, that was his title. Now, this man would not welcome missionaries whom John sends letter with, letters with to show hospitality to, and it appears that he even refuses to acknowledge John's authority as a leader or as an apostle of the church. He's a malicious or spiteful gossiper, and he's not satisfied with just getting his way. He, he wants to get his way, but he's not satisfied with just that. When others seem to be standing in the way of him getting what he wants, he, he kicks them out of the church. You like my little kick there? That's, that's what he does. A, a lot of Bible scholars, they've gone to great lengths to try to figure out what exactly does John have against Diotrephes? Now, all we know is that he had an attitude of wanting to be first. He was a malicious gossiper. He was not hospitable, and he influenced and used his power to convince other people to do the same. That's, that's all we know about him. But this phrase, who loves to be first, well, that's key to us understanding the kind of person that Diotrephes was. It's a very unique word in the original language, but basically it's this idea of someone who loves to be in charge and who leads by controlling others. You know someone like this? Perhaps you can be like this, leading people in such a way that you're manipulating them like chess pieces in a game of chess. As one commentator rightly says about Diotrephes, 
he loved the wrong person first. And, and that's the problem with Diotrephes. He loved the wrong person first. Wanting to be first and loving himself more than Christ. Now we call this attitude pride. And it's a vice that many have seen as central to every other vice in sin. Matter of fact, I want you to look at this quote from C.S. Lewis. He's a Christian writer. You may be familiar with him. His famous book, Mere Christianity. He has a chapter titled, The Great Sin. And on the opening page, he writes this. Well, now we've come to the center. According to Christian teachers, the essential vice, the utmost evil, well, it's pride. And the Scriptures seem to agree with Lewis and, and other Christian teachers. Proverbs 16, 18 says, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Proverbs 21 and 4, haughty eyes and a proud heart, the unplowed field of the wicked, produce sin. So haughty eyes, proud heart, produce sin. And then Psalm, uh, David says in the Psalm, Psalm 10, 4, in his pride, the wicked man does not seek him, seeking God. In all his thoughts, there's no room for God. He, he's consumed all of his space and his mind is filled up with self. There, there's no even space for God. Now, I want you to catch this. Although Diotrephes was a leader in the church, that was not the problem. The problem was not that he was leading. The problem was that his pride got in the way. The problem's not leading. It's how we lead. It's pride. Diotrephes loved the wrong person first. And I say all that this morning to to make this point that although you may not be a leader or wear the title of leader in your job or or in your home or here at church or in, in our community... This problem of pride seems to plague all of us. And when we look in and deep down in our hearts, we find that we too have loved the wrong person first. We find at the heart or at the core of many of our words are are selfish, are self-seeking motives and egocentric mindsets. The famous revival preacher of the 1700s, Jonathan Edwards, uh, says that there are seven symptoms of pride. And As we walk through each of these, I want you to kind of do a self-evaluation and see if any of these symptoms are appearing in your own life. The first one here is fault-finding. This is when you never want to admit that that you're at fault and are always finding somewhere else to put the blame, someone else to put it on even. Fault-finding. The second one here is a harsh spirit. This is when we're quick to point to others and point out their faults and count their sins as greater or more weightier than our own. We just have this harsh spirit towards other people. The third one is superficiality. Now, this is modern-day Pharisaism. The Pharisees were a group of religious uh, people that Jesus often rebuked and called out as hypocrites because they, they looked good on the outside, but on the inside, They weren't pure before God. They had evil hearts. And so the superficiality, that that symptom here, is that you care more about how holy or good you appear to be to others than the reality of your heart. You you care more about how others perceive you than how you really are. The fourth symptom is defensiveness, or always defending your actions and having to prove uh, uh, and, and challenge other people, rebuking others not willing to admit that you've done wrong. This fifth symptom here it actually shows up in two ways. The, the symptom is presumption before God. And it, it shows up one way in that you have too much confidence before God. And, and you don't keep in mind Psalm 211, which says, serve the Lord with 
fear, celebrate his, his rule with trembling. So you have too much confidence in self before God. But the other way the symptom can appear is when you have no confidence before God. And I bring that up because that's a false humility, because you believe your sin to be greater than His grace. See, you and I as Christians, we, we can have confidence before God, but confidence in Christ, not in ourselves. Anything more or anything less is a symptom of pride. The sixth symptom here, that was a hard thing, this sixth symptom here is desperation for attention. Now, this is being hungry for the approval or for affirmation from others, seeking others' attention, their affirmation, wanting their approval. And the last symptom here is neglecting others. This is preferring some people to other people, not wanting to be seen with certain people. Now, after doing your self-examination, are any of these symptoms showing up in your own life? Is it time to diagnose yourself with this disease of of pride? Call it out for for what it really is. Have you loved to be the first among them? Have, Have you loved the wrong person first? And if so... If you've been living the diatrophies way, the, the way of pride, here's two things we need to do. First, confess and repent of your pride. Confess means acknowledge before God, I, I've done wrong. I, I am a person of pride. I've got pride in my heart. Repent, make this conscious effort to turn away from it. And the second one is that we put on humility. So confess and repent of pride and then that we put on humility. And that's our life hack for this morning. That life is better when we humble ourselves. Life is better when we choose to be second. Life is better when we have the mindset of Christ. And there's one passage of Scripture that's key to us understanding this biblical, gospel-centered virtue of, of humility, and it's Philippians 2. And I need to credit a lot of this material that we're going to about to go over to uh, both a professor of mine, Dr. Presley, and also famous preacher, John Piper. You may be familiar with him, but uh, a lot of what I'm going to discuss is uh, things that they have said that kind of help me understand this text, and hopefully I can bring some light, uh, shine some light on it for you this morning. But we're going to try something new this morning. I'm going to do some telestrating. We're going to look at this text, and I'm going to hopefully right here on my iPad, and some things will show up on the screen to point out some things in the text. But Um, before we get into it, I need to make this point that this text has some really, really important and key concepts related to our faith in it. One of them is about the deity of Christ. This text is very strongly, so so if you're ever looking, someone says Jesus is not God, this text is a great text to go to because it very clearly teaches that he is. The other thing that this text teaches is it it teaches the incarnation of of Christ. That, that's what we celebrate at Christmas, that Jesus came down on the earth, came in human form and in, in human flesh. And although this text teaches those things, and although those, th- those things are important to our faith, and it's essential that we believe them, the reality is that's not the main point of this text that we're about to read. The main point is actually a smaller, very practical thing. And so I, I don't want us to get caught up in the big concepts. I want us to see what Paul's emphasizing the main uh, content, the, the main idea. So let's dig into this and let's try this out and see if this works. We're starting here in Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 3, and we're going to read 3 and 4. It says, Do nothing 
from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not to his own interests, but also to the interest of others. Now this right here, verses 3 and 4, well, this is the main point. It's the main idea of the text in its humility. Notice what we're to do. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, in humility, count others more significant. Now, this verse is showing us the kind of person we should be, that we should be a person for others, not living and loving ourselves, but a person for others, being other-centered. But the question is how? How do we get to this point? How do we model this, especially when we have this disease of pride in our lives? Well, Paul says, have this mind, and he starts this in verse 5, have this mind and when, I say, when he says mind here, he's referring to this up here. This mind that we just discussed in, in verses 3 and 4. Have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And we're going to talk about what it means to be yours in Christ Jesus in a moment. But I want you to look at the example that Jesus set for you and I. First it says, Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Now, this is the concept of the incarnation here, that Jesus became flesh. John 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then later, John tells us that the Word became flesh and dwelt and lived among us. And then, in being found in human form, He humbled Himself. He became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now, I've circled each of these things here, the things that Jesus has done, because I want you to notice the descent or the lowering, or the humbling, the downward example of Christ. And we start here, we start here at, at number one with in the form of God. And that is where Jesus started. He started in the throne room of God. But he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. So I'm putting a number two there. Now this idea, a thing to be grasped, what, what Paul means by that is it is i got to keep this. I, it's mine. I, I can't let go of it. i got to keep all this power, all this glory. No, Jesus didn't have that mindset. No, no, no. He said no, and he emptied himself. And I'm going to put a number three by that. He emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant. And servant, that's what you and I are called to do. We're, we're called to serve others. Being born in the likeness of man. And like I said, this is the incarnation and being found in human form. I'm not going to put another number there. Those are the same thing. He's just saying that twice. But even there, even when he became man, his humility didn't stop right here. His humility didn't stop right here. When, when he came to the earth, he, he didn't start parading himself around like a king. Even though he is, that's not what he did. He humbled himself. And that's number six. He humbled himself and became obedient. And his life was one of obedience and that's number seven, if I can get it here. 
And then his obedience led him to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now, do you see this? We start from the form of God to the death on the cross. Jesus went down, 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 ninefold down from the throne room of God to the most gut-wrenching, stomach-curling, humiliating forms of death. And this, this right here, this example of Christ is the source of our humility. It's the supporting idea behind us having a mindset of other-centeredness. And although I'm tempted to go on and on about, about this idea right here, that's not the point. The point is verses 3 and 4. They're the main idea. And so we're, we're going to look just a little bit more closely at, at 3 and 4. It says, Do nothing from selfish ambition... And this word right here means rivalry or striving to to get more attention. The King James says vainglory. Do nothing from selfish ambition and do nothing from conceit. And that's the love of glory, craving others' attention. Paul says do nothing from these motives, but in humility. In humility, count others more significant than yourself. Now, I want to draw your attention to three words that Paul connects between what Christ did and what you and I are called to. Before I do, I, I, need to look, we, I said we were going to discuss this, yours in Christ Jesus. Now, what that means is it, the Bible uses the language that anyone who's accepted Christ, they're in Christ. And, and so to be in Christ means that in, in this text here is it, you use Christ's example uh, to stir up in you and to inspire and to move you towards humility. Now, let's look at those three words that uh, Paul connects. The first one here is count, down in verse 6, that Jesus did not count equality with God. Look what Paul says for you and me, that you and I are to count others more significant. Now, Jesus could have counted his equality with God something to hold on to, to to keep hold of, and no one would have blamed him, but he didn't count. And and I guess it's true. You you and I could count ourselves and our dignity as significant, not willing to lower ourselves in service to others. But because Jesus did not count, you and I are not to count ourselves. We're, We're supposed to count others more significant. The next word here is servant In verse 7, Jesus took on the form of a servant. And I'm going to connect that with the word because Paul does significant. Now, this word significant, when we say in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. This is not the idea that we say other people are better at us than, uh, uh, that they're better at us at a certain task. Because it's true, all of us have certain things that we may be better at than someone else. Some of us may be better at algebra than we are in reading. Some of us may be better working with our hands, and others may be better uh, working on computers. This is not talking about relative human strengths here. What this is talking about is that we would position ourselves by a conscious effort of counting, position ourselves to serve other people. That we put people in a position where they could be served by us. And that's what Christ was all about. He was a servant, serving others, looking to their interest. And that leads us to the last connection. Jesus humbled himself. 
And it's the same word in the original language as up in verse 3, where we're told to live in humility. And in Jesus' low position and humiliation, he was obedient to the point of death. Death on a cross. And in his low position, in his humble state, he accomplished salvation for the whole world. His humbling was once and for all. That was his death on the cross. And so when you and I take a similar position in humility, we do this thing that is pleasing in the sight of God and that is in accordance with His Word and also with His way. Humility is God's way. It's His desire. It's His plan. It's the way He's wired us. And it's much better. And to make this point, I want to compare this Philippians 2 passage to 3 John in Diotrephes. And so I've put these two verses side by side. Put these two verses side by side so you can see them. So let's read them. And and as I do, I want you to see which one's more attractive. Which one would you rather be around? Third John. I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who love to be first, will not welcome us. So when I come, I'll call attention to what he's doing, spreading malicious nonsense about us, and not satisfied with that, he even refuses to welcome other believers, and he stops those who wants to do so and puts them out of the church. That's diatrophies. That's pride. And then Philippians 2. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others as more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interest of others. See, I think you and I would be hard-pressed to find someone who would rather hang out with a diatrophies rather than a Philippians 2 man. Pride, this loving to be first lifestyle, it it only leads to destruction. But humility, taking on the form of a servant, there's just something attractive about that. You, You can just hear it in the words that are used in these two passages. And our world may be filled with diatrophies like people. And the world may believe that it's better to get your way, to be first, to be on top, making the most money, having the most power. But we know about a man, a God-man, who had everything and lowered and humbled himself to nothing and in doing so accomplished salvation for the whole world. Life's better when we live like that, when we act like that, when we live life God's way. When we choose humility over pride. When we love Him and others first. And so today I want to leave you with some practical ways that you can begin to put on to hack humility starting this week. The first one is that if you're in a life group, that you would discuss as a group um, potentially washing each other's feet. Now, I know that this can seem strange or, or weird, and that's why I think it might be good that you discuss it as a group to make sure everybody's comfortable with it. But, but recognize this is actually something Jesus modeled for us. That at the Last Supper, as the disciples were coming into the home to have their meal, usually a servant was hired to wash feet, and so they didn't track dirt all, all over the home, but a servant wasn't hired. They're looking around, and and there's Jesus with a towel and a a bowl of water, and he gets down on his knees and washes the disciples' feet. He takes on this position of humility, of, of servanthood to them. And then he says this in John 13, 15, I give you an example that you also should do as I do. 
So he's given us an example. And so maybe this is something you try discussing your life group. If you're not in a life group, maybe this is something you can do in your own home with, with your own family. But a great way to humble yourselves. Put yourself in a position of, of lowering and, and serving others. Another way to humble yourself is if there's a specific job or a task that your spouse does in your home week after week, whether that be like washing dishes, taking out the trash, doing laundry, whatever it is, this week, choose to serve and take on that role to to serve your spouse. And see, humility, it's really a cornerstone, a a great part of, of what it means to have a lasting and fulfilling marriage, that we are looking to the interest of our spouse, putting their interest above our own. When we're making decisions, we're not thinking about our own happiness, what's good for us, but we're thinking about them, putting them above us. Even in your parenting, you can serve your kids. One way to, to practice humility in parenting is when you've done wrong, that you admit your wrong to your kids. Now, that's a humbling experience. But in doing so, you put yourself in this position that, yeah, I've done wrong. I, I, I wasn't right. And so you've shown your kids, I, I'm just as much in need of a Savior. You can also serve in, in your work. May, maybe you can find a way to, to seek out an intentional way to, to serve your coworkers. Then there's here at church, you can have an attitude of service, a, a heart of, of humility. And, and if you're not serving somewhere, I encourage you to start serving, to find a place where you can get plugged in and serve because that's part of what we're called to as Christians, that we serve other people. And so there's great ways to get plugged in and served in ministries here. Maybe you are serving somewhere, but maybe you can increase the amount of time that you serve. I don't know what it is for you, but finding a way to humble yourself, put yourself in a low position, giving up of your time, not thinking about your own interests. And I challenge you, if there's any role, any job here at church that that you think is below you, beneath you, you say, no way, I'm not doing that, I've already gone down that road, I challenge you to take on that role for a period of time, to humble yourself in that way. So those are just a few things maybe you could try out this week to to humble yourself, but if we're going to hack this life hack of hospitality, it, it means extending past just this week. It means that we're going to have to stop pointing fingers and finding fault in everyone else, but first looking to ourself, our own wrong done, and finding and looking at our own words and actions in life. It means that we're going to have to care more about how clean our heart is in the sight of God instead of how good or holy or righteous we appear to other people. It means that we are going to have to that when we are put in a position where we've done wrong, that we're the first ones to admit it. That, that we come clean. That we don't try to justify our words and, and our, or defend our actions. That we admit that we've done wrong. It means ceasing to, to get the attention of others and rather looking to their interest and positioning yourself to serve them. It means that we stop having this idea of seclusion, of of surrounding ourselves with people who are just like us, but rather seeking people who are very different than us and serving them. And this morning, if you've never humbled yourself in the sight of God, if you've never lowered yourself to the Lordship of Christ, in other words, accepted Christ as your Savior, surrendered your life to Him, today's the day of humbling. And you can humble yourself 
by believing in and on Jesus. That's, you believe the facts, but you also put your trust in Him. Then you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and Savior. You repent or turn away from sin and begin walking towards God. And then you're immersed in water in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's how we humble ourselves before God. And that's how you can start this journey of humbling yourselves. If you've never humbled yourself before God, today's the day. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for who you are. We thank you that you gave us the greatest example of humility when you sent your one and only Son, Jesus, who though he was existed in the form of God, did not count equality with you something to hold on to, but rather in humility lowered himself and in lowering himself accomplished salvation for the whole world. God, I pray that we too can practice this example, that we can look to Christ and and put on humility, that we can see his example and that stir up in us to live and to serve others. God, we thank you for the cross, for our salvation, and for the resurrection, the hope of life eternal with you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. I want to finish up this passage. I didn't read the last part of Philippians 2, because after Jesus humbled himself, after he was obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, this is what the next verse reads. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that's above every other name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Do you see what happens? Jesus humbled himself and then God exalted him. He went to the lowest of places. He went low, lower, lower. And then God lifted him high, high and higher to the seat of honor and to a seat of glory. And then I want you to catch what happens for you and I at the end of this life. Later in the same book of Philippians, just one chapter over, Paul says this about you and me. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await. Romans talks about how all creation groans in an eager expectation awaiting a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly, some translations say humble body, to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. See, you and I are in a humble state right now. And we need to continue to lower ourselves, pour ourselves out that we might be empty, that at the end of this life, when all said and done, we are tired and worn, and won't that make glory so much sweeter? But look what God promises us here. From humility to glory. Yes, there's a season of lowly. Yes, there's a season of servanthood, a season of self-abasement, of sorrow, of suffering, of pain. But listen, there was a season of lowly, a season of humbling, a season of servanthood, of, of pain and death for Christ. 
And just as God, when he humbled himself, God then exalted him, so you and I, there's coming a day where we'll be given a glorious body. A time when every tear will be wiped away. No more death, mourning, or pain. When God makes everything new and we will receive our eternal and great reward. But look at this verse. All of it's going to be done by the power of Jesus. By His power that He has both over sin and death. By the power that He has as He sits at the right hand of God the Father, reigning and ruling with His righteous rule. And it's by His power that He will take this humble, lowly body and transform it into a glorious body. And what a magnificent day that will be. Because when Christ returns, it's not going to be in His humble state anymore. No, He's coming with His glorious body in this glorious and regal manner. And He's coming in all of His glory. He was humbled and God exalted Him. And when we humble ourselves to Him and then to others, He will, with His power, transform our humble bodies into a body of glory. That's a name worth praising, a God that can do that, take us from this humble, lowly state into a state of glory. So if you have a decision to make today, if you need to humble yourself before His majesty, lower yourself to His lordship, I'm going to be down on the floor. There'll be a prayer team down to my left. We'd love to walk through that next step with you. But we're going to stand and we're going to sing to that wonderful and powerful and beautiful name that at the name of Jesus, every tongue will confess, whether they be in heaven or on earth or under the earth. And every knee will bow to Jesus Christ, who is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Let's stand and sing to that wonderful name.